so like this will be edited out this piece here and now i'm getting anxious and i'm like this will get edited out and it's getting longer and longer um, <laughs> hi i'm cammy chaos and i am rick Terosi. and we're mildly interesting people but that's why we hang out with very interesting people. So you don't have to listen to mildly interesting people talk about stuff all the time. I mean, they do have to listen to the mildly interesting people talk to the super interesting people. But Well, but just in a questioning kind of way. Okay. We're just we're just here to evoke responses from interesting people. That's our job. And to guide, make them sit there, guide the process. Yeah, make them sit there awkwardly and uncomfortably while we talk like it's an intro or something if you're if you're listening to the podcast you can't see this but poor cat uh let let me let me do the intro this week you got to do the intro last week uh yes. our get our guest this week Ooh, i think i've known uh roughly a decade now um it's been a while i was uh lucky enough to get the chance to not only know of her in the community, but get the chance to work with her directly as part of the startup accelerator that I run. And um, we had a, a great time and an adventure in, in her building, her startup, which was great. Um, but I will tell you that uh, as great as that was, what I've always respected about our guest is just her, not only her capacity for design, but the way she approaches design. And, and I'm excited to talk a little bit about that. I know Cami has some other topics she wants to get into, but let's kick things off by introducing our guest, Kat Miller. Kat, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Cami, where do you want to start? I, I, I know where I would like to start, but you're like, in the in the teaser, you're like, no, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about other things. So why don't I'm you fine. start? I'm fine talking about that. I just, I find it interesting. My connection with Kat is due to the fact that you knew Kat. I wouldn't have met her otherwise, but is, is about so many things other than design. She is a brilliant designer. That's true. But also like amazing human. You guys can't see this on the podcast, but Rick is showing you things that that Kat has designed, and I believe one of them made with her own two little hands. Is that yes, true? And ro robots. robots and robots. Yeah, with yeah. the help of robots. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yes, I think Kat is an amazing person, but I don't want to be limited to what to talking to people about what they do professionally when they're totally. just so spectacularly amazing human people. Like I sometimes feel like I should be a nicer human just because I, I know and interact with you. I'm like, I'm not nice enough to, to have, to be in Kat's life. I need to find a way to be a kinder, better human. Um, because, I, I support, I support that. Yeah. I mean, you said, you said a, you said a hugely great example <laughs> for other humans to be good. That means I agree. Me. And I also have to say that I think both of you are some of the nicest people that I know. And also super cool. And I was super nervous to meet both of you. So, <laughs> so you know. <laughs> and then once you did, you're like, oh, well, oh that's no. all there. That's all there is to that. Yeah. Is that, cool? is that all there is? <laughs> yeah. Um, so are you, are you saying I get to talk 
designy stuff with Kat a little bit? I am or saying we're... go. I am saying okay, cool. run with it. Be free. So, uh, as I mentioned in the intro, like Kat has, in my opinion, a very unique aesthetic that I, I find really compelling. Um, but I wanted to kind of go back. Like you, you went to school for design, right? Like that was an actual thing that you learned how to do by people teaching you stuff and things. But I'd love to talk about that. But like at some point there was some inspiration, like what, what inspired you to take this path? Was it an artist you saw? Was it a piece of work? Like where, where did you find this uh, passion for design? Um, That's a really interesting question. I think it lies in um, feeling community when I was younger and in school. And so I ended up getting accepted into a magnet photography class in high school. So I did studio photography and it was Mm -hmm. taught by professionals and they ran a studio like professional studio. And so you had this momentary glimpse of being not a student, but respected in um, a professional capacity. And so I knew I wanted to do something in the arts, but my, uh, my family was very against uh, going to art college. And so um, I worked really hard to get a scholarship. So I had a partial scholarship for photography. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I went to the Savannah College of Art and Design. Um, And what was interesting about that was I was actually a double major starting in my freshman year in photography and design um, because I was so passionate, not about the craft per se, but passionate about finding a career in doing something visual. And um, Mm -hmm. that was just something really unusual in my family. Um, So it was interesting. I, uh, I learned I'm not very good at photography, but I like it. Um, and holding cameras are super cool and that's about it. But, um, the design Mm -hmm. piece of it, what I found really interesting about design in particular was the idea that you can use human behavior and emotions to tell stories in compelling ways. Um, and so I was, I was lucky enough to go on a graduate level, um, trip to, uh, design agencies in Washington, D.C., where I was from mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. when I was a senior. And I ended up getting hired by one of the agencies we visited as an intern. Um, so that was that was really cool. I graduated, and then three days later, I started work. Nice. That's awesome. No break at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh-huh. Yeah, I was, I was a barista after college. I didn't really, like, get that kind of thing so can you were you also barista uh, so can we just take like a little side journey about coffee for a second um <laughs> oh yes oh, yes okay so was, i had a conversation with someone earlier today in portland um it was the first time i met them and the first thing that came out of my mouth was you have to tell me about coffee because we drink tea and then through life and stress and all the things of the pandemic we were like you know what let's let's try some coffee we don't get enough coffee <laughs> And it's just like the oatmeal uh, cartoon. I don't know if you've seen the oatmeal cartoon where um, it shows two partners and one of them is loading the dishwasher in a completely terrible way. So it's just like they're just jamming dishes into it. And the person's like, step away from the dishwasher. And the whole goal, the joke of it is like, oh, the person doing it doesn't have to do anymore. I legitimately try to make coffee and it is garbage every single time. 
<laughs> and so I loved. It's harder than it looks. It's not. It's not easy. Um, but I didn't. I I I didn't realize you weren't in that into coffee because you were kind enough to give me a coffee gift and it was really, really good coffee. And we super appreciate it. We save it for our fancy pour fancy over weekend thing pour in the jigger. Overs. Yeah. Yeah. For fancy, fancy coffee. I love that so much. Um, counterculture is great. Um, they, I mean, just the product itself is great, but also just their charitable giving and um, the amount that they've supported BoxBox. Box. So that's that's really amazing. I'm glad you enjoy it. They're great it's so good. Too. Yeah. Uh, Kimmy, that's your, your segue that you've been waiting for right there. The humanity and technology or the Fox Box? Because the f- either or. Uh, I want to start with also the a coffee place. Co- well, I mean, we could talk about first the fact that Rick and I were both baristas and neither of us can make a decent coffee in a coffee maker. So can it's you sad. Just, like enlighten me a little bit? So some coffee tastes like fruit and then some coffee and you can edit this out. I don't think anyone wants to. Listen to this. Oh no, we're, <laughs> uh-uh, no, we're all in. Yeah. Except for me, the person that knows nothing about coffee and can't figure it out. So there's like some that tastes like fruit and acid. And then there's some that tastes super mellow, really chill, delicious. Mm-hmm. So, but, so how do you articulate? It's just that? like white. It's just like wine tasting or beer tasting or tea tasting where you just taste it and there's no wrong answer there's there's what you like and there's what you don't like but uh yeah it has to do not only with the individual beans and how they're grown but also with the way that they are roasted and treated and then and ultimately how they're ground to make the coffee that you're actually drinking so as we're peeling back the layers of this onion i'm just thinking of all the ways that i mess up making coffee and there's so many factors i was like you just put beans in a grinder and water. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the water, the water can, I mean, I, we, we live in a region where we've got great water. water. We're lucky to have that water, but like some areas, like the water can totally change the, the flavor of the coffee and the, and the, you know, I'm where my head was going was like back to photography, like the, like that analogy, like you can, there's so many ways to change a photo, even after it's been captured, even captured on film or captured with technology. Like I think coffee is the same way. There's like so many different parameters or, or ways that you can influence it, that, um, it is truly, you know, really good baristas. uh, It's truly an art form. And, and I wasn't, I wasn't ever that good. I was more the, how many syrups can we cram into this mocha and see what it tastes like? Let's make another graveyard and, and see how jacked up on both caffeine and sugar I can get simultaneously. I wasn't a good barista. I just said I was a barista. (laughs) You got people what they needed and that's what matters. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Sweet, sweet relief of caffeine. Mostly caffeine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I want to talk about the intersection of humanity and technology because that is something that that unprompted you brought up that is so important to me. The only reason I work in technology is because I like to 
uh, inform what we're doing with empathy and with an understanding of humans. And so talk to me about that, the important part of that in design to you. You don't design just for the hell of it. You design to make something better for another person. Yeah. I mean, and that really speaks to uh, my path as a designer. So I, I started the agency I started working for in DC was a branding agency. And so I got to work on personal brands for very wealthy people. Um, I got to work on hedge fund branding and um, that was really interesting branding for <laughs> cities. Um, and I was working with these incredibly smart, um, intellectual, charming, delightful um, creatives that were so passionate about um, telling stories with identity. And it was really interesting to me because I, um, I gravitated more towards like the longer cadence stories. So that's how I ended up in advertising. So I was an art director in advertising for a while. Um, but then I was the art director that hung out with all the engineers. <laughs> um, I, I was just, what was fascinating to me about design was not that I can sell someone something, whether that's selling someone something with a emotional brand connection or a connection with um, trying to educate about product and, and showing the value of it and why you should buy it. Um, but what was interesting to me was that you can build the products. Um, and so I ended up kind of transitioning into product design, um, which was exciting. Um, I worked with a really great group of um, folks that were at Frog for a while, and then they came over to Dell and they built this really tiny product group. Um, and they were really kind and generous with their knowledge and um, teaching abilities. So I got to shift from being an art director in advertising and branding and more traditional design stuff and shift into products. Um, and that's actually how I came to Portland. Um, I ended up being a art director for UX and UI at a product agency, um, which was really fun. And that's where I met my well, husband. <laughs> and and who is who is also great. He's amazing too. You should um, definitely have amazing. Uh, yes, he'll join I us. Yeah, I still always remember his his personal website where he had created an action figure of himself to describe his his skills and resume and stuff. It's amazing. Well, can we take um, a moment also just say he built a three D model of himself and a three D model of a like <laughs> you know of you know when you buy a He Man figure. Mm -hmm. it, it was, it was just, yeah, that was like next level stuff there. Action figure. Um, is that a, 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 where the conversation was going kind of prompted for me? Like, was that the appeal of mobile design that it was this interaction with humans that is so present and constant these days? Like, was that what drew you to that? that kind of design? Well, it's interesting because that's actually um, where I started doing product work with that. That was kind of the first work I did. Mm -hmm. And that was right at the advent of Android starting to take off. Um, yep. So I actually really dived deep into Android. And I remember I was talking, we were visiting um, one of the Google campuses and we were talking to someone there and I was like, oh, finally, I'm this one that works at Google and I can just, I can share how much I've like enjoyed working on Android. And the first thing they were like, really? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I think most people at that time, like they gravitated towards iOS and that was the first thing sure. that they wanted to do. And, um, you know, I, I did a lot of, um, you know, a work with e even Samsung um, doing a project with them. And, and part of that project was um, kind of talking about uh, 
how Android works and Android patterns and how to do that in a second screen experience with um, a TV. And so it was, it's, it's, mm. I just really enjoyed talking about kind of the theory of it um, early on. So devices are just, um, it's exactly what you're saying. It's something you hold, it's so personal. Um, and mm -hmm. there's such a great responsibility in the way that you design for them. The importance of the way that you design software and the way it doesn't or does intrude in someone's life, I think is really, that piece of it is really interesting to me whenever I work on like mobile products. Um, but I do wanna just mention, there's an amazing uh, cartoonist called Defective Pudding on Instagram. Um, and it brings me so much joy and delight. Uh, a little tiny ghost with a giant witch hat that's tied on its little ghost chin and it's riding, it's riding this <laughs> giant pumpkin car and it's holding on for dear life and there's wind blowing and the hat's blowing in the back and it um it says something like uh spooky shit is afoot and so like there's this it's just so joyful speaking of joyful of a joyful reaction tell us about foxbox um so foxbox has to start with uh cypress's story um so in uh actually it was um and i laugh a little bit because uh the 4th of July, it brings me absolutely zero joy now um, and actually spawns some anxiety, the fireworks, because we um, we were admitted to Dornbecker Children's Hospital July 4th. Um, and so it was like this weird time where everyone's so joyful kind of in the streets and around you. And then you you just kind of end up in this place. Um, but to, to backtrack a little bit, um, my uh, second son um, was diagnosed at uh, four months old on July 4th with a very rare and aggressive form of leukemia. Um, and I've, I've shared that with other people before. And I think almost every parent of a child with childhood cancer will say it's rare and aggressive. And it's true. Most of them, it, just having childhood cancer is rare. A lot of them are very aggressive, um, as cancer is just normally aggressive, um, aside from some adult cancers, um, which are slow growing. Um, but when I say rare and aggressive, I mean that there aren't any specialists that specialize in his particular kind of cancer. Um, I had the good fortune to um, briefly talk on Twitter DMs with a, a pediatric oncologist at CHOP who, who said that you know one of her colleagues sort of kind of worked in that. Um, but there's one one researcher at St. Jude that works on the family of leukemia um, that Cypress had, but it was just so rare. And so what that meant for us was that um, every step of the journey in his like cancer treatment wasn't guaranteed. And it's never guaranteed for any family, but um, you unfortunately kind of get into that situation and you'll hear um, some people have the good leukemia, which is the leukemia that has the 80% cure rate, and some people don't. And um, we were the people that didn't. Um, so we kind of ended up in the hospital on July 4th. We just had a diaper bag, and then we just didn't go home for almost a year. We had two short breaks. Um, one was a week, and one was five days. But other than that, we were just in the hospital. Um, so what was shocking about that, other than you find out that your baby has cancer, um, was that 
you get into this hospital room and there's a hospital crib and you have a four month old and you're sitting there and you look at it and you realize this is our new nursery and it is sterile and it's a hospital room and it's small and it smells weird and the lights are always on and people are coming in and out and we're just in this shocking kind of cacophony of sounds and beeping and talking and crying um, all the time. And that's how it felt like when we first got in there. And then once you live there long enough, you, you start realizing, um, that the, everyone that works at the hospital kind of ends up being your new family, um, because they're not afraid of you. I think what we found was that even our family and friends, a lot of them were really afraid, um, to talk to us, to come visit us, to, um, engage with us. And, and that was shocking for us to kind of figure out, um, is that the loneliness that happens with those diagnoses, you know, comes from that is such a horrific experience. And then on top of that, it, a lot of people can't sit with you during it. Um, so, you know, it was, it was really interesting. And the people that showed up and showed up for us, like very dear to our hearts, um, and you guys, you guys showed up, so you're very, very deep in your hearts. Thank you. Um, you know, so that, you know, I think Cypress's journey to, um, because we didn't go home, we were living in the hospital and we had a baby and, you know, babies and kids, um, for the most part, um, I remember, I remember our, um, primary oncologist came in and Cypress was doing a second round of chemo and, and she looked at us and she was like, you know, if I gave you this exact same chemo dose, the exact same chemo, same amount, she was like, you would be knocked out. She was like, you just be totally knocked out. And she was like, but look at him, he's up and he's playing. And that's so true. Like that, um, you know, the resilience of kids, um, in the face of cancer treatment is so it's remarkable. It's inspiring. Um, just the amount of joy that, you know, you're a baby and you're getting chemo, but at the same time, you're still a baby and you do all the baby things and you're interested mm -hmm. in all the baby things. Um, you know, it was really, uh, it was really special and taught me a lot. Um, what keeps coming back to me is your ability to capture joy, even in like deep moments yeah. of despair. So can you tell me about a day in the yeah. hospital? Like a good day in the hospital? So um, that's a really great question, the good day. So it's something I didn't realize until we were there. And I remember having a really long conversation with um, one of uh, the nurse practitioners on the floor about this. And um, it was one of those days that was tough and you kind of have people coming in and out of your room. And then she just came in and just sat down and we started talking about it. But it's the fact that... Um, Oncology floors in particular are really joyful places. There's lots of laughter. There's a lot of people. Um, you know, you have toddlers zooming around the floor on um, these like little, uh, they're for physical therapy, but they're actually really fun. And so they don't realize they're doing physical <laughs> therapy. Um, oh gosh, I think like get 
little rocket scooters. And so you have like toddlers zooming around, you have teenagers and their friends walking around. And then something in particular that happened because we had five other baby friends on the floor with us was that we did something called what the nurses called baby parades. Um, so, uh, Cypress being the extrovert um, that he was, and we're a family of introverts. I always like to point that out that he was so extroverted and like loved people, had to be around them 24 seven. And he loved like giggling and playing with people. Um, and so I would take him for these long walks every day, um, three to five miles, uh, thanks to my Apple watch that we would record. Um, <laughs> in loops because the floor is a giant circle. And so I'd push him with his giant IV pole and he'd be in his baby carrier. And then suddenly our, our other baby friends over time would kind of come out. And so suddenly there's like this group of five babies with five giant IV poles and five parents walking them around the floor, just laughing. And like, you're going to like a new mom or parent group, right? Like it's just a bunch of babies in these extraordinary circumstances being just babies. Um, so to backtrack though, Cammy, to your amazing question, because I think I just went on a tangent, but it's, it's so funny to me because I can think back on that and I can hear it and that sensory, like I've never been like a strong sensory kind of person in the fact I'm like remembering or smelling or hearing something, but I can hear those sounds and I can hear his giggle, especially when he, there is, um, to uh, front desk people he loved and his giggle every time we would come around and he would see them was so it was like a deep earthy giggle and we would walk around and then they disappear and he'd be kind of quiet and then he knew we were coming back and he'd start laughing again um like as a as a duo we're mildly interesting it like imagine imagine how boring it would be if it was just me poor cat having to carry the whole show it looks like I'm back. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I want to talk more about the hospital, if that's okay. Sure. Um, especially because I know that you talked about it being so isolating and, and your friends and family being afraid. Um, and so if we can make it transparent for anyone else um, so that they know and they can be there for the person in their life that might be going through something similar to what you and your family have been through. Yay. Um, on the heels of the baby parade, tell me about it. Like where, where do you even sleep? Like wh what do you eat? Like what the yeah. practicalities? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, just to, you know, just to preface to you, like it wasn't everyone in our lives that was, was no. scared. Yeah. But I think what, what we found was, um, you know, I think, especially with families, some people were frightened and some weren't. And it was just, it was kind of shocking for us because we, we made assumptions, right? And what they always say about assumptions, you shouldn't do it. And, and that really kind of taught us, um, you know, a valuable lesson too, of being able to also articulate our, our needs with family in particular um, was helpful. Um, so where did I sleep? So that's a really great question. Um, I'm going to take a step back and just share a little story that a pediatric intensive care unit nurse shared with me. So when they were designing Dornbecker Children's Hospital, the architecture firm came and spoke to the nurses and said, what do you want and what do parents want? 
right? If you want to talk about like doing some really great informed design, I just yeah. add that story. When she told me that, I was just like, yes, design. Um, but uh, this uh, particular pediatric intensive care unit nurse was um, a huge advocate for parents to have a bed to sleep in. Um, because in her experience at other hospitals along her very long career, she would have parents sleep on the floor um, because they had nowhere else to go or they didn't want to leave. And so yeah. what I really appreciated about um, Dornbecker and uh, I think every modern children's hospital is the fact that they have a day bed um, so someone can sleep there. Um, so the first two weeks, I actually slept in the crib with Cyprus, um, like that is a tiny person. Yeah, just my... in case you're trying to logistically figure out how that <laughs> happened, she she's we. So, yeah. and um, you know, and of course that was done with uh, very safely, very all the safe things and all the things that were safe. So just to preface that, like. Yeah. But because um, both parents wanted to stay there and there was the day and the day bed is very tiny. So it fits one person. Um, and so uh, that was where I spent the first two weeks. And then um, because we have another kiddo, um, my husband, you know, would come back and forth every single day to the hospital um, so that he could be at home with our other kiddo. And then I was very, very, very fortunate enough to have um, a family member who uh, was living with us at the time that was also a caregiver for our um, other kiddo. So, you know, we couldn't have done it without them. Um, but I, so I slept on the stay bed. Um, it is, uh, sorry, I actually started getting a phone call from the pediatrician. He used to come was very lovely. And she actually, the point I was about to make was that the beds are very uncomfortable and she recommended getting a mattress pad so that they were, it was less uncomfortable. And mm -hmm. that made a huge difference. Um, not that you really sleep in the hospital. Um, so, uh, you know, as a parent of an infant, um, you're up in the middle of the night all the time. And then if you are a parent of an infant who is also getting chemotherapy and in the hospital, you have to deal with um, narcotic withdrawal. You have to deal with um, chemotherapy side effects. Um, so it's, you don't really sleep. Um, you sleep a little bit um, because otherwise you, your body wouldn't function. Um, but even to this day, like I, I still can't really get a very deep sleep. I keep waking up, I think, because I, I, wake, I still wake up in those patterns. Um, so, you know, parents and caregivers who are in the hospital living there, like not only are they dealing with, um, you know, not having a lot of sleep, they're dealing with a lot of information and a lot of stress and trying to comprehend a lot of big and scary things. Um, and on top of that, you're also wanting to have connections. You, you miss talking to friends. And so um, to this day, there are so many um, nurses and nurse practitioners that cared for Cyprus that we're still really close to, um, who they ended up being those friends, those people that you could talk to and, and share your thoughts and laugh with people who weren't um, scared to laugh with you. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a weird situation. And then 
what do you eat and drink? Um, so there's a family uh, kitchen on the floor, but I think those, I, I don't know what happened to them during COVID. Um, but that mm. was a place where you could kind of randomly run into someone if you're looking for um, some conversation with like another parent or caregiver, um, you might run into someone where you're getting some food out of the fridge. Um, but other than that, you're, you're eating hospital food. So with all that you've just shared, that's very much what led in the direction. Um, after Cyprus lost his battle, um, you founded Foxbox. Will you help us about that? Well, and, and can I just, I just want to pause for a second too, because I'm like, you went, you and your family went through a situation that even managing what you went through requires a massive amount of resilience. And yet you had the energy and, and creativity to use that as a point of inspiration for you and, and to really celebrate Cyprus in a meaningful way with Foxbox. Can you just talk about that a little bit, please? Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think, um, my, just based on what my personality is like, and then also what I've spent my entire kind of adult life focusing on human behavior and, and supporting other people and how do you build a service or how do you build a piece of software or a connection of all those things that improve someone's life. Um, you know, I think there were a lot of coping mechanisms. And one of them for me during the entire process was, um, writing down every single person that worked with us, whether they were room service or, or they were nursing or they were providers of some kind, um, and then writing them a thank you note. Um, so I wrote 87 thank you notes, um, which is, uh, and, and put a, um, I designed um, this like fox pin. Um, because Cyprus was, he was born on the Thursday and he died on a Thursday and he was born as the sun came up and he died as the sun set. Um, and so the fox is a, both a sunrise or sunset. Um, and so, um, you know, expressing gratitude was a way that we coped with things, um, but also uh, trying to figure out how to fix fix things. I think just being a designer, um, just inherently, I, every time we ran into something challenging, um, whether that be access to services or access to items or some kind of process or communication issue. Um, I think the first thing I would do is like, Oh, this is how you would fix that. Um, and I kind of kept a running tally of that or would write it down. Um, and I think it also comes into like having a very strong sense of, right and wrong. And there were things that just felt wrong. Um, and so trying to correct that, um, in a way that was meaningful for other families, um, around access to items or access to, um, you know, just people who aren't scared that you're in that situation or people who understand what it's like to have a baby with a long hospital stay. Mm -hmm. Um, so I will, I will say that 
Foxbox is what you know. They're they're they're. I run a nonprofit. There are some nonprofit organizations that you're like, eh, okay, like, but like, I literally cat will sometimes hit us up and be like, Hey, we don't have a, we don't have a drop off driver today. Can you deliver something for us? And I literally feel guilty on the days where I'm like, we can't do that. We can't do how, how can we figure out how to do that today? We need to do that today. It's such a, such an inspiring and beautiful organization that you've built. And I would love everybody to know about it. So why don't you just take a few minutes, tell folks like where to find out more information or if they or family members are going through a similar situation, how to get in contact, like what areas you serve, all that kind of thing. Feel free to just take the floor and and give us the pitch on Foxbox, please. I so appreciate that. And please don't ever feel bad about not you show up in, in meaningful and deep ways, um, all the time. Um, so, uh, Foxbox was started two months after Cypress died. Um, and we, uh, we, the first thing we did was actually talk to, uh, providers at other, at hospitals and try to figure out like, what's the answer to this problem. So the fact that, um, infant items or items specifically for infants, uh, if you're not in the NICU are really difficult to come by in the hospital. And like, why is that? So, um, you know, they have big toy drives every year and, and the things for infants are, it's minuscule, if anything. Um, and so you know, access to rattles, access to developmentally appropriate, um, mobiles or, um, anything else to kind of help the educational, social, emotional, and, um, developmental growth of an infant, um, are we're just hard to come by. And so we asked a lot of people that worked at hospitals, like why that might be. And, um, the answer really kind of boiled down to, it's really hard to think about babies in the hospital. Um, so most people don't. And so at Foxbox, the thing that we say is that we do. Um, so we are a 501c3 that's dedicated to supporting infants with long hospital stays. Um, so, uh, what's interesting about Foxbox is that we have started, um, we started, uh, with the two children's hospitals in Portland supporting kind of all the floors. Um, but what we're doing now with our new hospital partners is just supporting pediatric intensive care units. So when you look at the continuum of support in a children's hospital at one end, you have oncology and the NICU, and there's tons of nonprofits that support those amazing floors and give them the support that they desperately need. Um, but then you have the pediatric intensive care unit where more and more increasingly, um, there are babies who have long stays that need breathing support and assistance. And so um, that's really where we're kind of focusing um, our newer kind of expansion is how can we support pediatric intensive care units with infants that have long hospital stays, sometimes up to a year before they're able to start transitioning to another floor to go home. Um, so, uh, that being said, so uh, this is this, hopefully this part will get edited out as I'm talking. About. <laughs> um, but uh, so we have delivered boxes to um, families at hospitals in uh, Washington, California, New Mexico, um, New York, and we're working with um, getting some new uh, hospital partners uh, this year in different parts of the country, which is really exciting. Um, and then we've had that really amazing fortune to partner with uh, remarkable brands in the baby space. 
who have donated their items and support our work. Um, Ergo Baby is phenomenal. We love them so much. Um, we are able to give a carrier to every single family that applies for a Fox box. Um, baby Tula is amazing. They have donated blankets. So every single baby gets a blanket. Um, baby Einstein has donated. So every single baby gets Baby Einstein musical instruments. And they also get the beloved by all hospital staff, the um, Sea Dream Soother, which is like a little aquarium for their, for their crib, which is phenomenal. So every baby gets one. Um, Slumberkins has been amazing. So uh, every baby and every sibling gets a Slumberkin, um, which helps with the um, social emotional you know, trauma of separation, of family change, of anxiety. Um, they're just really wonderful. Um, the bereavement, um, really wonderful uh, creatures and products. Um, Smart Noggin is amazing. They have the best developmental um, rattle that was created by a early childhood intervention specialist. And so she, when she did, she, because she's a genius, she took all of the, the kind of the items she used to do her evaluations and she crammed it into one rattle. Hmm. And there's something so magical about this rattle. The babies just love it. Um, so we can include those. We partnered with Sassy Baby. So like the best kind of developmental um, infant products. Um, so they sent us things that we can include too. Um, it's just really phenomenal. And Smith Tea in Portland. Um, so they donate their tea. So we can uh, give that to families um, because we support not only infants, but also the parents, caregivers, and siblings. Um, so we donate... Um, uh, social emotional kind of support through books or slumberkins for siblings. Um, Jessica Hish and Penguin Books, um, they've donated uh, uh, Tomorrow I'll Be Brave, so every baby gets that book, but they also donated some Tomorrow I'll Be Kind, so siblings can have that. Um, Corey Dorfeld and Penguin Kids donated um, uh, one of our favorite books uh, for big feelings, which is um, The Rabbit Listened, which is phenomenal. So every sibling gets that. Um, a kid's book about has donated in the past to um, really great book on emotion. So, you know, I think we feel very um, grateful for the, the brand support that we've gotten and the amazing partners we've been able to secure to really help support infants and their families in meaningful ways. Um, and then we're always, you know, looking for um, just community support and finding other community members when we're starting to open up volunteering in the future too. Um, so if you're interested to learn more about Foxbox, you can find us at um, foxboxes.org, um, but also on Instagram at foxboxbaby. Um, I would say Twitter, but I don't know if anyone's using Twitter. Right yeah. Twitter. You're, you're, you're not doing the TikToking anymore? Oh, you're no, still doing the TikTok? On TikTok. It's just yeah. who wants to see this actor, this <laughs> elder millennial do TikTok? No one does. But we're there too if you want. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's where we do behind the scenes. So we'll show you how we build our boxes and what we put inside of them. Um, and everything we include cool. in our boxes is uh, geared to support de developmental, educational, and social emotional growth. And it's also the highest quality baby item on the market. So uh, I could easily sit here and talk to Kat for hours and we'll have to have her back to, to talk more about stuff. Uh, but we also realize you have other things to do. So we want to, we want to kind of shift the format a little bit, a uh, new feature 
that the Kimmy and I received by suggestion from a listener that we're going to give a try. I'm going to hand off to Cammy for our guest lightning round. So just quick answers to these questions. Top of mind doesn't need to be in depth just to get a little more insight in, in, into you. Also, I'm totally not married to the name lightning round, but it is descriptive. Okay. So your favorite, but least useful topic or hobby. Oh, um, uh, oh, wow. This is like so much pressure, to it, um, <laughs> but I forgot the name of it so I can describe it. It's, um, visible mending. I knew that's mm. what you were going to say. So awesome. I've gone down so many rabbit holes because of your interest in that. All right. Next question. Would you want to survive the zombie apocalypse? So, um, it's, uh, no. And I also have a firm, like, no watching anything that isn't a comedy um, the mm-hmm. past few years. So, like, are there cool zombies now? There's some cool I mean, zombies. You would, there's some, you like, wouldn't want to be a zombie, but. Um, yeah. What is the last food that you photographed? You're going to end up too long, that's right. It's not lightning round. Nope. I'm going to extend them. I'm going to slow it down. Um, You know, I don't really photograph food. That's good. That's a good answer. That's an excellent Um, answer. Portland Snow, pro or con? No comment. No comment on the Portland (laughs) Snow. For those of you unaware, Portland has just received more snow than ever since 1943 uh so 80, 80 years yes 80 years nice no candy though so that is a nice that's excellent. Uh, last question magnets or stickers stickers yeah huh. okay. there was a right answer to that one okay so, was that like a swag are you doing like a swag survey <laughs> maybe i don't know yeah maybe <laughs> not who knows we don't know what's going on. It's, Honestly, it's still new, Cat. We not, don't know what I'm not we're doing. Ready to, I'm not ready to give you our stickers. They're not professionally. Yeah, we didn't even get into calligraphy. That And now we've lost Cammy again. We didn't even get into calligraphy, which we'll need to get into later when we bring you back. So maybe we'll just have a whole conversation about calligraphy at some point. Cat. Uh, love you dearly thank you so much for making time to to join us yes cam cam cammy is talking in my ear and says she loves cat dearly as well i'm supposed to convey that to you uh we will figure out as usual our technical difficulties um and and if you're watching on youtube it will be far more obvious than it is on the podcast. I hope, I hope I can edit everything together smoothly, (laughs) but, uh, Kat, uh, always a pleasure. Just great to see you. Uh, please give our best to the family. Thanks again for, for spending time with us today. And I, I absolutely cannot wait to have you back to chat again. I so appreciate and love both of you so much and listen to a lot of fresh air. So I know how guests sign off and this isn't it because I'm talking too long, but they're always super cool <laughs> and I'm not doing it. But thanks. Thanks for having me. Of course. Of course. And it, this has been mildly interesting people. Uh, me mostly, but Cammy's been here from time to time as well. And, and would like to thank our very interesting guest, Kat. 
for joining us. Uh, now you're free to go on about your business and find something more interesting to do. We'll talk to you soon.